thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. I'm uh, very thankful for a lead pastor that is multi-talented, so, mainly so that uh, he didn't ask me to lead us in worship this morning, because that would have been terrible for everybody. Hopefully, this is a little bit better, uh, more in my wheelhouse, uh, probably not so much as his, but I am thankful for the opportunity to, to lead us this morning through God's Word. Um, as we get into this story, I give a little bit of guess a warning uh mainly for those that listen afterwards because we don't really have any children in here but the passage we're going to be reading from today could be a little bit of pg pg 13 depending on what era you were born uh so but it is straight from scripture it's god's word so it's good it uh proves to be good so there just might be some context in here that you might have to explain a little bit more to your children if they are listening uh that being said on June 26, 2008, the Texas Rangers called up Chris Davis to make his late major league debut. He came to the league with a hot bat. He was quickly dubbed with the name Crush Davis by local media and his fans. But we fast forward to 2013, where he's been in the league for five years. He led the MLB in home runs and did it again in 2015. His success led Chris to a very lucrative contract of a $161 million deal. Shortly thereafter, though, Chris's success at the plate began to decline, ultimately landing him in the biggest slump of Major League Baseball history. He went 54 consecutive at-bats, spanning over two seasons without, a record, without recording a hit. A lot of times I feel like we can get in situations like Chris, where spiritually we enter what we like to call a season uh, where we stray away from Christ or his word, and we feel like we're in a slump. We just can't seem to gain traction, whether it be in his word or the way we interact with those around us. Uh, and I, I feel like I was kind of in one of those slumps when James asked me to preach. So I was like, man, I, won't, I don't want nothing to do with it. Like, I don't think it's the right time for me to preach. And unfortunately, I was the only person left. So we were stuck with me trying to get out of the slump. And I was like, you know, like, God, I prayed, you know, very regularly after being asked, uh, please guide me to some scripture to not only help uh, relate to the people here at C112 how to get out of slump, but, but to prevent me from getting in one again, right? And, and I, I, in my mind, had Job. You know, I was like, I really want to preach from Job. Uh, Job had every excuse to be in a slump and, and work through that uh, with, with his faith. And, and God led me a different direction that I didn't really expect. And it's probably a, from Scripture that isn't the easiest to... Preach from. It's a story that most people that have been around the Bible have heard of. Um, so you're probably slightly familiar. Uh, if, I, if I say the name Bathsheba, you're probably like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. So we're going to be talking about what I, what I like to call one of the biggest spiritual slumps that is recorded in Scripture. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of spiritual slumps in Scripture, but 
This one, I feel like, to me at least, takes the cake. Uh, David was a man that is, con- is several times referred to as a man seeking after God's heart. Yet we see David go through some very difficult times uh, when he comes to power as king of Jerusalem. And this story specifically uh, highlights probably one of the most difficult times in his life and ultimately a, a large spiritual slump for him to overcome. So today, the majority of the scripture that we'll be in will be in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So as you flip there, I kind of had a thought on my way here this morning when I realized it was Valentine's Day coming up. I'm uh, going to confess that to you all. You know, I'm, I'm married and kind of forgot for a minute that Valentine's Day uh, is tomorrow. Yeah, okay. So, uh, and I remember jokingly, uh, I think it was with James and Barry both saying, oh, we'll just do a Song of Solomon uh, sermon, you know, since this week kind of falls where it was, James says open topic. And I was like, well, all right, it's Valentine's Day. And uh, Barry quickly was like, oh, I can't stand doing uh, holiday themed messages. And I was like, well, on the way here, I was like, this is kind of anti-love story, right? Like it's, it's, it has everything, but it's missing the one component that we tend to associate with Valentine's Day. We see a lack of love in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we'll kind of see how that plays out in David's actions uh, as we go along. So beginning in verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So a little bit of history here. Uh, 2 Samuel, uh, the Several chapters previous to this is building up David's kingship. Like uh, David uh, takes over the throne in Jerusalem. And in that time, like he's just rolling with the punches. Like David's doing one right thing after another. He's uh, reestablishing the dominance of the Israelites and uh, conquering those uh, territories outside of their walls. And and just basically setting the bar for all kings after him. You know, we, we know he's the man seeking after God's heart, and he's having all the success, and he's really a stand-up guy up until this point. He's, uh, like I said, he is, he is the bar for all future kings to be uh, judged by. So here we see something funny that, honestly, in previous studies or reading through Scripture, I just didn't notice. And I feel like what's awesome about God's Word is the more you study it, the more he reveals to you. And I really think it's because a lot of times when we're listening either to a sermon or even during different seasons of our life, and I'm going to like just completely, completely trounce on that word as we go because uh, I think sometimes we use it as an excuse. But uh, through different times of our life, God just doesn't reveal his full truth to us in those moments. And what I mean is that like God is still living today, right? And he continues to grow in us uh, individually. And what I found interesting about this is I never really paid attention to why David wasn't out there with his men. If you look in the first verse of this chapter, it says, this is the time when kings go out to battle. However, David was not with his people. He remained at Jerusalem. So whatever the reason may be, David was not where he was supposed to be. And this verb sent, in this passage, uh, I listened to a sermon on this not too long ago, and it was brought up in that sermon, was uh, 
The verb sent in relation to David sending out other people was used five other times in this one chapter. So not only is David kind of relaxing back at home while the, the other men are doing the, the work of the city, but he's really not doing anything else but sending other people out to do his business, right? So he's kind of just hanging out the house, relaxing, and not doing much other things. So you remember the phrase, or I'm sure you've heard it, or maybe even used it at times, that idle hands are the devil's playground. And scripture that really backs that up is Proverbs 18, verse 9. It says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Like, think about times when you have nothing to do. Like, think about times when you really have no agenda and no task. And, and I'm the person, like, I'll be the first to say I live and die by a schedule. And if I don't wake up in the morning, get ready for the gym, go to the gym, and start going through these activities throughout the day, everything seems to fall apart as I go. And... What better time to reflect back over as the past two years when we were kind of forced out of our schedules? And I'm going to elaborate that here in a little bit, but just kind of keep that in mind, like how outside influences and distractions have caused us to maybe enter into a slump without even realizing it. And I want us to kind of think about that as we dive into David's story a little bit more. In verse 2, it says it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. That right there is also interesting, right? Late one afternoon, David's finally getting off the couch. He was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. So this isn't unusual. David's up on the roof enjoying the evening. Kind of like some of us, you know, I love going outside in the evening and just enjoying the sunset and that time of the day. Granted, he's just now waking up and getting off the couch, but... Being on the roof is not unusual, uh, but it's also not unusual for this woman to be bathing. It's not like she's out in the open bathing, right? So you got to kind of think about the lay of the land there. David, being the king, more likely has a high rooftop than everybody else, right? So he's out on the rooftop, kind of in, enjoying his time out there, and just happens to be peering down into the neighboring houses around him and can see through an area where a woman is bathing. So this is no different than... You know, let's think about us maybe getting on social media for a minute, right? Just mindlessly scrolling through some news for the day or some recipes on TikTok or whatever it may be that you like to do uh, on social media. And the next thing you know, you stumble across something that is probably not something I should be looking at. But I'm going to go ahead and click on that profile to see what else is going on there. And the next thing you know, you're in a whole situation you shouldn't have been in. So it's very similar to David wasn't necessarily going out on the roof to find somebody bathing and he just stumbled across it. And so what he did in this next step that's really ultimately where he fell away from the Lord. So verse three, it says, and David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is that not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So I think what happens uh, whenever I get the opportunity to preach, uh, there's one book that really, well, there's several books that I've read outside of Scripture that kind of, uh, I guess, molded my theological approaches and how I, how I deal with sin in my life. And one of those is screw tape letters. So my goal over time 
through uh, getting the opportunity to preach. I think as I'm just going to summarize this book to y'all because uh, I think I've hit on it a good bit in the past. But from letter nine, it says in this letter, Screwtape, who is like the mentor demon, right? If So C.S. Lewis does an awesome job of giving Satan's perspective of how he influences people in this world. And Screwtape is the uh, mentor who's mentoring his nephew, Wormwood, on how to win over this patient, uh, basically this human who's seeking after God. And he's like, we want to win him over to us. Uh, let's keep him away from God. And this is how he's doing it in letter, letter nine. Screwtape advises Wormwood how he can take advantage of, tra- of troughs or slumps in the patient's life. Slumps are great moments for sensual temptation, especially sexual ones. During a slump, the patient is unlikely to fall in love. His physical experience won't result in a real pleasure. He will develop addictions, ever-increasing cravings, forever-diminishing pleasures. An even better way to exploit slumps is to keep the patient from recognizing his slump is temporary. He should think it will last forever. The method depends on the kind of person the patient is. If he is depressive, Wormwood should convince him to seek isolation. Try to get out of his slump by an act of will. If the patient is prone to wishful thinking, Wormwood should convince him his slump isn't so bad. The last peak wasn't so good. Weren't the religious sentiments that made him feel so good excessive? Once the patient is convinced his slump is permanent, he can be persuaded that his positive religious phase was indeed just a phase. So I want to be clear here. We do serve a God who goes before us and is always with us and who will not forsake us. And God provided a way out for David. Looking back at verse 3, someone came to David and said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David had accountability in this moment. David was even given a personalization of this woman. Like He made it personable. Like He was like, this is a human. Like She has a father. Not only a father, she has a husband. Like This is not just some woman that you should take advantage of. So he had somebody there with him trying to get him off that path that he could see him easily going down. God provided a way out for David. And I'll talk a moment about accountability. Uh, first, let's look at Hebrews 10, verses 20 through 25. So let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I'm really tired of blaming COVID for everything. Like, I feel like COVID's our modern-day Katrina. Like, I remember just going somewhere and somebody would say, you know, this, is, this would even be like eight or ten years after, and, and blaming Katrina. Like, I, was, I was here for Katrina, and I understand how impactful and difficult it was to get through. But I used to struggle with that just being the blame and cause of everything bad in our lives. And I kind of feel like sometimes we we do the same thing with COVID. Like COVID got us in a spot as a gathering of believers that I'll tell you, I was comfortable with at times. Like it was awesome to wake up in the morning, sit in my pajamas on the couch, flip on a sermon from D.C., Texas, wherever I wanted to that day, picking whoever it may have been, you know, like. Uh, and honestly, if I like the worship service from this one, but I like the pastor from this one, I can mix and match, right? Like, just like do my own a la carte consumerism uh, worship day, you know? And, and it, was, 
it was easy. As soon as it was done, I flipped it off, and maybe I got up in my pajamas that day. Maybe I didn't. But I remember talking to James during that time and Barry, and I just remember thinking, like, something's still missing, right? And uh, over the past three years, I've gotten to hunting a lot, and uh, I think one of the things I like about hunting is isolation and and that time you get to spend in the woods, and, and you really get to see God's creation. And, and some people, yeah, it's a worship experience. It can be a worship experience, but it doesn't take place of this, the gathering with other believers. And uh, I struggle with that a lot because I'm on forums and stuff where people say, like, oh, Sunday morning, like I'll tell you, like, right now, Sunday morning, Barry and I talk about a lot of times, it's usually the best weather to hunt. Like, the enemy is working, right? Uh, so, like, the best time to hunt is usually a Sunday morning where I'm supposed to be here worshiping with the, gather- the, with the gathering. And, and uh, what I find great about the time of COVID was that, like, spiritually I knew something was missing. I was in a spiritual slump during that time because you lose the accountability that you gain by not just sitting here on a Sunday morning worshiping together and, and learning together but it happens outside of this as well with the ones that you gather on Sunday. Like, y'all don't build relationships. I, I'm stealing this from a past sermon that I heard. But you're not building relationships here by looking at the back of somebody else's head, right? Like, that's not where that happens. This is an opportunity for us to come together and kind of, you know, gather in the same roots. Um, we, we learn from the same text. Each, uh, each Sunday we're, we're gathering and learning together. And from there we grow deeper with one another. So uh, what, is, what is missing... Is the exact same thing. What is missing during the time of COVID is the exact same thing we see here in 2 Samuel 11, and that's accountability. We see somebody attempt to be, hold David accountable, but accountability is a two-way street. Like it's one thing for somebody to say, hey, Trey, this is what you're doing wrong in your life, and let's, let's try to solve it. But it's another thing for me to listen to that individual, right, and not to go continuing down the path of sin. So... Oh, uh, and I really don't think we can do this without community. So David has someone step up and try to make Bathsheba more personal, as we covered before. And she was definitely more than just a figure for David to lust over. Picking up in verse 6, it says, So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And hold on, before we get into this, one more disclaimer that I don't have in my notes. But I can see how we can easily uh, take Second Samuel 11 and bash David, right? We could bash David in this sin. Uh, we could even bash specifically men in this sin, right? Uh, just speaking out of context, because I don't know how it feels, but maybe some, sometimes listening to scripture like this, a woman could be like, man, men are such dogs, because we hear it all the time, right? Like, men do a lot of times, like, that's an area of scripture even tells us that we're weak, uh, whenever we're in these slumps, like that is an easy place for uh, the enemy to prey on us is through sexual temptation. But temptations exist for all of us. Uh, it could be uh, sexual, it could be emotional. Um, it, whenever we get into these slumps or times of idleness and, and laziness, the enemy has great opportunities to jump in. And, and maybe you're not flipping through TikTok looking at recipes to help make your meal plans for the week much healthier. Uh, Maybe you're jumping in on another platform and trying to figure out how to stir up gossip, hate, and discontent because for some reason that's what people love to do. They don't build each other up on social media. They like to tear each other down. So um, David, this is just one example, and it's easy to, to relate this specifically just to him or just to men individually, but we need to really look at this as 
any time that we're away from Christ, we're away from God's word and, and relationship with those that help keep us accountable, we're open to some form of temptation that could lead us away from him. So picking up in verse 6, David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So this is Bathsheba's husband, right? And Joab sent Uriah to David. David's getting somebody else to do the dirty work once again, sending somebody, sending somebody. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed David, followed with him a present from the king. So David's trying to manipulate the situation here, right? David, instead of first realizing that, hey, Bathsheba's married, I'm married. Bathsheba is a real person. I don't need to take advantage of her. Instead of at that moment saying, let me go to God with this sin and turn away from it. We know he acts differently, uh, pursues Bathsheba, and that sin grew quickly, right? He went from pursuing Bathsheba to having relations with Bathsheba, to getting Bathsheba pregnant, and now he's got uh, Bathsheba's husband involved in this. And what he's trying to do here, uh, previous scripture tells us that she was uh, taking care of herself, uh, that Bathsheba was taking care of herself, and it said it in parentheses, so a second, I'll get back to that. Uh, now she had been purifying herself from uncleanness, so all that, that note there is telling us is that she, this would have been the time she would have been uh, ready to, to get pregnant, in lack of better terms, a better phrase to say. But um, so David is now trying to manipulate the situation, right? He's trying to cover up his sin by sending Bathsheba's husband home early, which is weird because Bathsheba's husband at this time was on the battlefield. He's one of the elite soldiers for Jerusalem, and he's being called home while the battle's still going on. And he realizes something's up here, but uh, not specifically what's going on. Uh, but David's trying to take it once again into his own hands. Like instead of even confessing his sins at this point uh, and trying to, to repent and turn away from those sins, he's continuing down a whole other avenue of how do I cover this up? How do I make a right for the things that I've done wrong? And how can I control the situation? Picking up in verse 9, it says, But Uriah slept, out the door, slept at the door of the king's house with all servants of his Lord, and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David sent to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also and tomorrow, and I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. So here we see Uriah doing exactly what Uriah should do. Like he knows it's not his time to go home. He's not in the place he should be. Like, unlike David, who was not where he should be, Uriah is at least trying to be where he should be. The David had called him home, and he knows he's still supposed to be on the battlefield. 
Uh, he knows that during this time, uh, as we see uh, that the Ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, that his men were still out fighting, that he wanted to be with those men, and he had no intention of going home during this time. So in verse 14, it says, In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Here we go, seeing David sending out once again. And the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting of the king, then if the king's anger arises, and if he says to you, Why did you go near the city to fight? Did you know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Ambalek, the son of Excuse me. Who killed Ambalek, the son of Jerebuseth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent to him. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So David sinned from once standing up on a rooftop, even backtracking a little bit. David not being where he's supposed to be. And in that time being lazy and entering into the slump where he's not serving God. And he's instead just leisurely going about his daily life. Walks out on a roof one evening, stumbles into lust unintentionally, pursues that lust to the point that he takes action that he should have never been involved with, realizes that he messes up, and tries to cover it up by killing the husband of the woman that he got pregnant. So we see how quickly in this story that the sin grew. I mean, it escalated from something that David honestly didn't see as even being an issue, right? Uh, it's just like us a lot of times. Like, I know one of the things that threw me off, it's even good things, right? Like, uh, the Christmas season. I took a couple weeks off of work, and I got out of my routine. And during that time, it was like, I stopped reading my Bible as much. I stopped praying as much. I stopped meeting with other believers as much. I'm not talking about, like, a one-week period here. And then it's like, Hard to get back in those routines. Anytime that, if you're familiar with, say, just working out, for example, like if, if you're really adamant about going to the gym every day and then you get sick for a week and then you're like, next week, like, I don't feel as good this week. I'm going to give it another week. And you're like, well, I'll go this one day, try it out. 
just dabble a little bit, and you're like, hmm, pretty sore. I'm just going to give it a whole nother week. And that's how we do with a lot of these slumps we enter into. It's like we start off by, I like to use the, the, the king cake visual, right? Like, this one little sliver of king cake is going to be okay. Like, that's all I'm going to take is this one little sliver. And the next thing you look down, it's like, man, three quarters of that king cake is gone, and I was the only person in this house. Like, how did that happen, right? Like, that's how we are with sin. Like, the enemy knows that we're just going to do this one little thing, Trey. We're just going to just take one little piece of it. And then the next thing you know, you're in over your head. So what I want to encourage you with this week is from Psalm 23, uh, just like Barrett read in the beginning. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley, even though I'm in the slump, even though I walk through the valley of the shadows of death, I will not fear, I will not fear evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Guys, just like James has been telling us for weeks, Jesus is there for us, and he is good. Like, Jesus is good. Father God, you are so good, and I thank you so much for you, dear Lord. And God, when we go through these moments in time where we drift from you, Father, let us remember how good and great you are. Father, Father let us remember the people that you have surrounded close to us that, that are also image bearers of you. God, we know that we have a target on our back because, God, you embarrass the enemy, and he is searching to destroy anything that looks like you, Father. And I just ask that, God, that we hold on to the truths of your word. God, that we read them daily. God, that we, we bind them to the, our hearts that, just as you have told us to, Father, that it's, it's a hedge of protection that you give us. And God, that we, we cling to you and to those that you have given to us in our lives to help keep us on the straight and narrow, dear Lord. And God, as we go out through, as we leave this place today, Father, let us be those image bearers to, to make your name famous, God. Not for our sakes, not so that we have a life that we think will be easier, God, but a life that just glorifies you, that the God that just overflows your love to others. Well, thank you. Christ, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it was encouraging for you and that you have a great week. God bless.